We at It's a Mimic believe that, in an effort to make this game as fun as possible for all players, it is a game designer's responsibility to vet problematic content and language. We also believe that each player and dungeon master has a responsibility to provide a safe and fun environment for the others in their own games. As such, we step into the rule of the DMs for the sake of this podcast, and it is important for us to make sure that everybody feels safe. So please, heed the following disclaimer. The following episode covers one of the most unfortunate missteps in recent D&D history, the Hadozi. And in order to provide context about what some of the issues are and why, certain real-world stereotypes are discussed candidly, if briefly. Neither It's a Mimic nor any of its hosts promote these harmful depictions and stereotypes, but we do feel that ignoring their existence or shying away from them is dishonest, minimizes the hurtful impact of the language, and sets us up as a community for potentially repeating scenarios which can and will harm others in the future. We make a lot of jokes, but we do not joke about this. This podcast is meant to provide inspiration and entertainment based on specific ideas presented by the creators of the game, and sometimes that means discussing when some parts of the content are not appropriate. Listener discretion is advised. You're the captain of a spelljammer. Yes, I am. <laughs> Whom, out of popular culture, would be your first mate? Han, uh, Han Solo. Han Solo, not Chewbacca? You wouldn't have that as the natural sidekick? Han always got out of trouble just naturally. Mm, that's fair. I think he has a superpower, and the superpower is just luck. Mm. And that's what you want on a space pirate ship. Mm-hmm. That's true. Fair one, Megan. I'm taking Kratos. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're taking him. <laughs> No one is surprised. Some, I'm I, smart enough. I just need some muscle on the ship. That's all. Is I that want. what that is? Muscle? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it. I don't know who that is. That's fine. God of War. It's, he's a God of War guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Fine. Uh, yeah. Is featured in God of War and most of Megan's dreams. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Hey. <laughs> you know what? Pretty doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> solid effort. Solid effort. I do like Megan just declared. You know, I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <it's> like, uh, <laughs> I didn't prep an answer uh, for this, but uh, uh, Han, Han Solo. Uh, <laughs> so sorry, say that one more time. Han, Han, Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Me and Han Solo eating tacos and nachos. <laughs> On a yacht. <laughs> sorry, you trying to say yacht? Yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to say yacht? <laughs> yacht? <laughs> Isn't that a game? Yahtzee? <laughs> Yahtzee? Yahtzee? We do say Yahtzee. Yahtzee? <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on playable races in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Terry and Megan, and this episode is called Three New Definitions of Space Race. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the panel of Dungeon Masters will be kicking back and chatting about three new playable races, or lineages, as Wizards of the Coast now calls them, from the Spelljammer campaign setting. We've already covered the weirder alien options, so who does that leave us with? Space elves and more anthropomorphs. All right. Well, we all know what's going to come up in this episode. Obviously, the GIF. 
Um, so I would like to kind of hear what you guys' stance are on, like, firearms in your D&D campaigns. Are you for or are you against? Let's roll initiative. Six. Fifteen. You got a 17, Derek. <laughs> I have a 17. I honestly thought it was a 12. Do your so contacts work? Do this you... is the first time I've tried to read anything since I got them. I get it. It's, so we were doing space races and it's first contacts. Oh, you're going to edit that one out, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are not my first ever contact. It was the first time in a couple of years. Oh, so I got a 17. Sorry, what was the question? What are my thoughts on, uh, what are my thoughts on firearms? I believe all players have the right to bear arms. <laughs> Damn it. To bear arms or bear arms? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, calm down. Uh, look, they're, they're a little bit new and, and scary to me. It's not necessarily the firearms. It's the introduction of gunpowder, mm-hmm. uh, which is the scarier thing. Um, but I have nothing against the firearms themselves as, uh, as long as you're prepared to deal with that added complexity. Yeah, I mean... I have included firearms in my games, although I usually give them to an NPC, and then if the NPC dies, you guys are able to recover it, mm-hmm. with no knowledge in how to make new gunpowder, right? Into- make it a resource, basically. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it, is, it is essentially a wand that does massive fucking damage, right? Like, a two-handed wand that goes, fuck you. Yeah. Right? Damn but... Sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> I've got like 12 of these just on my phone. Oh my god. How do you feel about the Megan? I I kind of agree. And that it's just something that needs to be either contained or limited. Because it just can just ruin the suspense of disbelief and fantasy that I feel a lot of people are trying to immerse themselves into. Yeah, but if you're doing this fantastical science fiction level space fantasy stuff. Lasers. Sure. Look, lasers have been a thing in D&D for a long, long, long time. Laser dinosaurs. No, not laser dinosaurs. Laser sharks. <laughs> it's going to be one of those episodes, eh? We have another animal. Shotgun hawk. Write down, down laser sharks. This is the most, this is the best ideas I've ever had, guys. I don't know why we're... <laughs> anyway, before we get any deeper into this fucking insanity, let's cut to an ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. Before I jump into what's happening this week on the Patreon, I'd first like to thank Blake Chittle for supporting us by becoming a Patreon member. I look forward to chatting with you on our Patreon-exclusive Discord. You can check your messages through Patreon. As for this week's release on Patreon, there's going to be a double drop. One will be last week's episode, which glitched out halfway through, just as I came down with a cold. But I've got my voice back now, and it's recorded, so I'm doing one final editing pass before finally publishing it for our Silver Tier patrons and the other episode will be the next installment of the Campaign Builder, where Jeff and I hash out what bandits on the road may look like for a Tier 2 party. But for now, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so we're talking about Spelljammer today. Uh, Obviously, we already said that in this episode, and it's in the fucking title. You clicked on it, you know what you're in for. So, if you don't know what Spelljammer is, it's essentially a space fantasy 
Um, akin to things like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. And uh, we don't really have a whole lot of it to work off of these days um, as far as modern thematic um, or genre pieces the way that, that we have in previous decades. Mm. It kind of fell out of style right around the time that uh, Star Trek started to become big. Isaac Asimov and Ray Bradbury and what's considered hard science fiction started to come in. So space started to become science. This is true of everything except Star Wars, which is keeping the trend alive as much as possible. Um, because there's no science in that. It is all just wizardry and laser swords for the sake of wizardry and laser swords. Uh, midichlorians. <laughs> okay, Megan. Explain <laughs> the science. I just killed the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Star Wars is really kind of the last thing. And if you want a Star Wars feel and you don't want to play the Star Wars tabletop role-playing game, then you would look to Spelljammer, right? Um, There is a Pathfinder version of it as well called Starfinder, I think, which is essentially the same general idea. As the additions continue to move forward, they get further and farther away from each other, but you can still find things like hippo people shooting guns. In it, so what a great idea! Wow, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, spell jamming is. Uh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of the context because we just covered this in an episode, so um, I'm not going to do too much of a deep dive. I want to launch into the lineages or races, but the idea is that every single universe or star system um, exists in essentially a vacuum, like a, a little void, much like in the real world, except this void is at the very edge of the star system, and it is surrounded by what's called the wild space, which is essentially this kind of foggy haze that is full of breathable air and all sorts of bright colors, and when you fly into it, you can suddenly breathe again and everything's fine. And uh, there is... uh, You can still see the stars through this colorful fog, at least the brightest stars, and you can head over to the next one of these Um, small vacuums that have a planet system in it. So you can travel from the Forgotten Realms uh, and Toril over to Eberron and then over to Ravnica. And you can just go essentially plane hopping. There's also a bunch of color pools. We talked about this really briefly in our Astral Sea episode a long time ago. That was episode like 53 or 54. Is it one that we should go back and listen to or are we embarrassed about that one? No, we don't. I think it's episode 75 and below. Well, well... (laughs) Dan is on that one. Oh. And we don't talk about him anymore. Yeah, so, that's true. Uh, no, I a lot of the information back then was was good. We now have a better idea of what this looks like um, because there wasn't a whole lot of published information for fifth edition at that point. So we were going off of the four paragraphs in the DMG and previous editions. Um, so it's a bit of an update now, and they have incorporated Spelljammer as now just part of the D and D landscape. Hmm. Um, it is now completely within canon for you to just. Finish out of the abyss and then head over to Eberron. All you got to do is jump on a flying space, uh, flying pirate ship, right? So, um, the way that you move between these areas is on these uh, pirate ships. These they look like seafaring vessels, except they've got a magical item that's called a uh, spell jamming helm. Or, uh, that's why all of these ships are called spell jammers. You have to be a spellcaster in order to use the the helm, and it's how you navigate the ship. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, When it comes to light sources, it's just bright everywhere. Temperature, 
it's like a warm summer day everywhere. Remember how we always bitch Terry about how like it's always two o'clock in the afternoon on a bright on Thursday. Yeah. yeah, right. There's no real uh, variation at all when it comes to temperature or weather or anything. That's the way it is out in this wild space. There is actually no variation of temperatures. No, no, okay. no, no. It's completely just kind of mild. It's a nice day out. You can wander around without your shirt on. You're not going to get cold. So good to know. Good to know. So the um, the other thing about it is that gravity doesn't really exist out here, but the spell jammers themselves do have a, a gravitational plane that runs horizontally through the ship. If you fall off of it, it's okay. You don't end up just floating through wild space and dying. You The gravity of the ship itself should pull you back up into the ship. Um, the idea is that when you are at the on the bottom of the ship, um, gravity is reversed. So you can walk along the bottom of the hull. Interesting. Convenient. Yeah. So when you're on the side of the ship, it's probably a struggle to get up one side, like up to the deck. But you can just walk across the bottom with no problem. Um, The other thing that you should know is that there are a ton of monsters. And the monsters out here are usually kind of vaguely aquatic themed or aberrations. And a lot of them are fucking huge. Like they're gargantuan monstrosities. Like you were the smallest thing out here. Um, other than that, the main creatures you're going to run into are going to be, uh, Githyanki, that this is where they live and they, you know, sail around on pirate ships. Uh, you can astral project up here because this is called the astral sea as well, right? So you can astral project up here and, um, and, uh, you can navigate around the area, um, as if you were walking there. However, you have a silvery thread that, uh, comes out from the top of your head. Um, it's, this is explained in the astral projection spell, I believe. Um, and they've got, the Githyanki have special weapons and there are, um, astral dreadnoughts that can interact with this thread and, uh, give you a bad fucking day. Um, <laughs> so. like a really good time. Yeah. Well, um, so. Yeah. <laughs> so it, this is really nautical themed, but also very space themed as well. The closer you get to different planes of existence, the more space-themed it becomes. Because you're traveling on this, this astral sea, and then you head into these wild spaces, this these these vacuums, these voids. And then from there, you can go down to a planet. So, And then you hit your high fantasy again. So you go space pirates and like, on the high seas to just space, and then to just high fantasy again. Or whatever the theme of that realm is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have any questions before we move on? No questions. Nah, man. This makes total scientific sense. (laughs) It's best to not think about it. (laughs) I'm not going to question it. (laughs) All right. Well, I have questions, so let's grab our dice. No, no. This makes more sense in real space to me. Nine. Oh, see how I got that right on the edge there? 19. I got a 16. Okay, Terry, what's the most attractive thing about playing in a Spelljammer campaign setting? I think this is a whole new way to uh, lean into the exploration pillar. This is a whole new set of skill challenges uh, that uh, that you would not be exposed to when you're just playing, you know, on the Earth, whatever mm. Earth that you're playing with. Like, I see it as you can even get kind of Star Trek-y with it. All of your player characters are kind of in the, what is it called? The flight deck? The cockpit? What do you call it? The, the helm? We're just naming ship. I was going to let you squirm for another few minutes. Yeah. It's the bridge. The it's barracks? What are we? <laughs> Everybody's in the barracks. Uh, it's pronounced barracks. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> in the barracks. In the barracks. Uh, but the but the, because the, the challenges that you would bring may need them to like you essentially you can create more interesting space themed puzzles that you would not be able to do if you were just playing on the prime material plane running around the mountains. And stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. It's a whole new way to, to lean into the exploration pillar. Yeah. You're definitely going to be able to think about things like uh, the survival skill a yes. whole lot more. Um, and and differently, too, right? I keep the, thinking about Call of Cthulhu because you get all of these navigation, survival, wilderness skills. Mm-hmm. And they're all radically different. And then in 5th edition, it's just, nope, here's the thing. This is it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about this is there are giant space whales. And there are just, like... Astral goldfish that are just fucking about out in the... Flying just, around. Just space fish. There are space fish. You can go fishing off of the side of one of these um, spell jammers in the astral sea. Yeah. And catch fish and, like, replenish your your food stocks and whatnot. Um, there are mechanics for, like, running out of air when you're in the voids and you'll have to stock up on supplies. So that's a part of this as well. It's like a new type of resource management. Yeah. Which appeals to me. That doesn't necessarily appeal to everybody. Yeah, that's fair. No, man, I just want to play a campaign where I'm a space pirate. I think that just sounds like really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And again, to the exploration pillar, it's not just that like you're having to deal with different kinds of resource management and like coming across different types of creatures, but now you're also dealing with different planes and different planets and being able to change what type of exploration you're going to go to so that high elf that you created in this one area may not do well in this other new plane that you're yeah. going to, right? Yeah, you'll land in Theros and no one's ever seen a dwarf before. Right, and then you have to navigate what that's like, which yeah. I think is really interesting. So I think that's what interests me the most, is the how to how they're going to role-play their way through different scenarios. If they've developed a high fantasy character, you're now dumping into space. Yeah, Terry, what's the least attractive thing about playing in Spelljammer? I might not have all of the answers. This is a whole box of fucky up, fucky stuff and unexpected questions that are going to get opened up where I've trained myself over a period of eight years or however long I've been playing D&D now to, to have most of the answers ready to go or at least be able to improvise. And uh, I feel like we'll not be able to improvise as readily in this uh, setting. Yeah, my big complaint is the fact that we get three books in a fancy schmancy box set and the books... Uh, I like the monster... The Monster Manual, the Booze Menagerie. Yeah. Fun, neat, cool monsters. Um, the adventure I've looked through, but I'm not sold on. But Jesus, the rules that they have, that rule book is so scarce. It's mostly just, these are the ships and these are some of the details about the ships. The navigating through the areas or what the Astral Sea itself is like and some of the challenges out there. They could have fleshed out, give me 25 more pages of what to do with random encounters or... Uh, what, what geographical problems I could run into. What the different colored pools mean and, and where they go. Because they're all portals. Mm-hmm. And they're all supposed to be different colors. Each color corresponds to somewhere. But what? What do they correspond to? Mm-hmm. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. And so I'm doing a lot of the legwork myself on this. Um, and then I've also got to know, oh, my guys decide to go to Ravnica. All right, I guess you got to buy the Ravnica book, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. not a problem for me, but for a lot of people, this is going to go from space piracy to online piracy pretty fucking quickly. <laughs> and, <laughs> so dramatic. I'm not going to ask my question because I want the internet to appreciate that joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you think it's bad enough where it's like, uh, you know, there you start the set, you ended the last session in Waterdeep, and they said they were going to go to the Sword Mountains, and then you start the session, they go, JK, we're going to Baldur's Gate, and you got to think on your feet there. But when they say, we're going to go to Dragonlands, JK, we're going to go to Ravnica, you're like, fucking hell, guys. Yeah, all you did is like, oh no, we're out of space crystals. Mm. (laughs) We're going to have to do some resource managing for the next three hours. The the trilithium, (laughs) don't think about it. (laughs) Where do we get space crystals from? There's space dragons, damn it. And there's none. There's none here, so I don't know what you... Hey, we did get two new kind of space dragons. 
Oh, We've got okay. a solar dragon and a lunar dragon. We'll cover those in future episodes. But oh spoiler alert for your life, Terry, on the dragon episodes. is Yeah. And That's... lunar dragons are evil, which is neat. Love that about a moon. Also, we finally get art about dragon eggs. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. You do love a good dragon egg. I fucking love a dragon egg. Yeah, that's fair. Along with some fucking orc bacon. I like a dragon egg now. I don't feel like you turned me on to dragon eggs. I turn you on to a lot of things, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. Private browsers. Uh, Pepperina turned me on to Topaz dragons recently. Yeah. Find out that they're very much like me, and I agreed. Oh dear. <laughs> Megan, what do you think the most challenging thing is? I I honestly, I, I tend to agree where it's just along the lines of having a new plane to work with and then having to think on your feet faster and not having all of the information. Like I can, I, I already have a hard enough time not knowing everything and being like anxious and nervous about that. But then again, it was like that for D&D a few years ago. You know what I mean? Where I had the same anxieties that aren't necessarily as prominent as they are now. But I don't feel like I would spend a lot of time in a Spelljammer campaign. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like we would end up back in Ravnica or in one of those more familiar places and terrains that I'm familiar with. Just fly back to the Forgotten Realms. So why, so why am I spending so much time and effort to learn this when I'm going to end up going back to the Forgotten Realms? Yeah, I, I might get over it pretty quick. I, yeah. I feel like when you're homebrewing your own special planets because you desperately want a planet where giants ride Tarasks around. You can do that now and have your guys... It's just, just part of the, the Spelljamming. It, just watching different episodes of like Star Trek or Futurama and you're getting inspired by, I want to go to this kind of place. I want to go to that kind of place. Yeah. Um, and this allows you to do that. Um, I feel like it also just offered a lot of hand waving to stuff. Like you could now have anything happen in the Forgotten Realms and be like, Ooh, space pirates. Yeah. And then like, it just added a lot of that kind of level to it. Which... Well, we're going more towards that setting agnostic idea of, of D and D now is, that's what the Monsters of the Multiverse book was, was they just cut out anything that was Forgotten Realms specific, right? Yeah. All of those lore chapters from Volos and Tome of Foes uh, got completely wiped clean. Yeah. And all of the races are now more just generic in general, so you can do whatever you want. And we're definitely heading in that direction where um, I think that we're going to see more and more of this, I don't know, make it up when it comes to the lore, which frustrates the shit out of me but a lot of people really like that and for the casual gamer i think that makes a lot of sense and for the home brewer it makes a lot of sense yeah yeah because you're not pigeonholing yourself into the lore that has to stick you can make up your own shit and no one can contest you dan that's true (laughs) well (laughs) i I just want to say this too you could always have done that that's true and i don't know why taking away lore under the guise of hey you guys don't have to follow it anymore how, why does that imply that we had to follow it in the first place? Yeah. Very true. So. I'm not following your rules. I'm my own person. <laughs> I'm a strong, independent woman. So am I. Let's <laughs> grab dice and roll to see. We have three play- playable races or lineages. <laughs> Such a simple joke. <laughs> 17. Seven. I, I got never a rolled this two. Well. I never rolled this well when I'm DM. <laughs> uh, you, you are, uh, you got a 17. You're up first, Terry. Okay. Um, and you have... Um, the gif, the gif, not the gif, not the gif. No, so yeah. I will be talking about the gif Yankee today. No, Jesus. Nope. <laughs> nope. Gifs are right. It's pronounced jif. Sorry. Hey, actually, <laughs> that should be the first point that I bring up. Actually, okay. Uh, is that uh, during my online research for a lore outside of the fifth edition? Why don't I start here? Uh, I don't know if this was a joke or not, but it was put in there that it's pronounced gif. However. By some people, 
sorry, uh, I can't remember if it was half of the race, the GIF race themselves, or half the people. However, in some places, it is accepted to pronounce it GIF. And I want to get your guys a quick. I, th- I think that's a meta joke on the internet. 100% a meta joke. I think that's what yeah. that is. Yeah. It just didn't la- I was just like, this is an amazing coincidence. What a, what a, what a great piece of history. Is this, this where it comes from? Oh my God. <laughs> the guys will never believe this. Okay. <laughs> Unlock the secret of the internet, Derek. Yeah, figure yeah. it out. <laughs> they always get me those bastards. I hate them. Okay, internet that I just insulted. So GIF have a strong muscular system over stocky and broad frames. They're essentially they're essentially hippo people. Okay, Leonin or lion people, these are hippo people. Uh, for a size comparison, they are shorter than ogres, standing around eight or nine feet tall, but uh, but more kind of uh, they're more massive. Uh, Jesus, that's huge. That is like the top limit of medium-sized creatures. They are medium-sized mm-hmm. creatures as well. I will note that. While they have a range of skin colors, most commonly you would expect to find them with gray or black coloring, but they can also appear in gold. I don't think this would be a bright gold. I feel like it would be a dull Not gold. to be shiny as fuck. <laughs> if like one You fucking know he's got a monocle too. Like. 100%. Hello! Definitely. He's just a Definitely. monopoly piece. <laughs> it is common for GIF to decorate their skin with colorful tattoos, typically related to their accomplishments and victories, uh, as opposed to tattooing the name of a punk band into your wrist at 21 years old, like some of us. <laughs> How's that treating you, Terry? Well, the, the other thing is I can't see it anywhere from like my angle because it's on the back, so I always forget it's there. It's my handshaking hand as well, uh, so it, it's often brought up. It's a, it's a nightmare. Thanks, 21-year-old Terry. This is why I don't let anybody see my tattoos. I've hidden them well. <laughs> Um, mm. Gif always dress in uniforms or elaborate or prestigious armor and can carry multiple firearms and usually will. Uh, in spite of their size, Gif have excellent reflexes and, a su- and surprising grace when moving, just like hippopotami. Yes. Hippopotami? Uh, who are, are Hippopotamuses. Hippop- <laughs> Hippopotamies. Yes. There you go, you got it. Uh, yeah. Just like them. Uh, naturally, <laughs> they are exceptionally strong and tough, for comparison, as strong as a hill giant, but they are not especially intelligent or wise. Something that mechanically is never an issue anyway, but for the sake of lore, it is known that there is no difference in strength or combat prowess between males and females of the GIF race. Mechanically in D&D, that doesn't really matter to us, but it is noted in the lore. Uh, lore from 5th edition material. So, uh, in Wild Space, GIF are most often encountered as uh, spacefaring mercenaries and are renowned for their martial training and love of explosives. Me too. Every aspect of the spacefaring GIF society is organized along military lines from birth until death. Each has a military rank. Uh, promotions are not dependent on time and service, but are granted for superiors as rewards for valor, which is something I can certainly get behind. Looking at you, Government of Canada, work faster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> muskets and grenades are the uh, specialty weapon of most GIF regiments. Big booms, bright flashes, and lots of smoke are considered glorious for the GIF. I, I love the idea of them setting off a can of, ha-ha, glory, huzzah, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> they all have British accents, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, even though they're hippo people, what's the dude on Baba? The, you know, the Cornelius. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've all got names like Cornelius. Oh, like, yes. One of, yeah. Um, Reginald, <laughs> fire the tactic cannons. <laughs> I, I love it. I gotta play a gift. Come on. Um, something quite tragic. Most GIF believe they originated on one world. However, their home world is now the stuff of legend because no living GIF has ever seen it or even knows where it is. The gods who created GIF have likewise been forgotten. 
their titanic petrified bodies of the, of the gift gods are adrift somewhere in the astral sea, isolated and unrecognizable in their current forms. Uh, surely this next part is a joke. I mentioned it earlier that gift are split into two camps concerning how their name is pronounced. So the gift themselves are split into two camps. Is it gif or jif? Is it gif or jif? It's gif. It's, is it? It's gif. It's gif. Not according to the laws of language, which... Hey, man. We don't have time to argue this, do we? The internet will do it for us. Come at us in the comments. <laughs> Look, Jif is a kind of peanut butter. End of story. I was going to say, it's like, it's like smooth or crunchy, right? Well, depends on my mood that day. Sometimes just in the mood for crunch. Gif live rigid lives <laughs> of order and obedience to a chain of command, uh, which greatly uh, depends on where you fall within that chain. They actually take pleasure from following orders, strangely enough. Uh, Gif are known for always keeping their promises as well. A common gift hobby uh, was the maintenance of their armor, and I like the discipline and integrity which is attached to this race for that uh, that kind of pastime. Uh, Gif have no desire to become an empire uh, of their own, but they do enjoy traveling. They do not demonstrate any love of money. Food is seen to be far more important to them. The typical Gif, however, does have a great love of weapons, especially firearms and explosives, as I mentioned, of course favoring the largest explosions the most. Gif are fearful of magic, but must tolerate its use in spell jamming, as it is basically the only way that they can travel from one world to the other. They don't have their own world, so that's what they need to do. But they always rely on others to uh, to power the spell jammer helm. They will not do it themselves. Hmm. So, for some stereotypes for Gif, I would say the stereotypes would include like the tank classes. Um, however, I would say take note of their dexterity and their passion for firearms. Uh, for a, more, a far more uncommon take on your tanks, I previously used my champion fighter in like a SWAT team style way uh, with a heavy crossbow, and I think something very similar could work out very well for this type of class, especially due to their size. I just think it would be comical as well. And the fact that like explosives, I feel like they do things for a bit more of a distance than up right. in front and close tank. That's yeah. Nobody else wants to. Nobody else wants to play a GIF rogue. I would love to see a sneaky hippo. <laughs> Sneaky hippo. What, is it Fantasia where the hippos and the crocodiles are ballet dancers? Yes. And they're very, very graceful. Super graceful. Even the yeah, and I yeah, I can picture that for the gif. I've never seen it. Oh man, I danced with a hippo at the Disneyland parade. Did you? I feel like yeah, I've seen a, a lot of movies, but I feel like I've never seen. And it's like all um, of the movies I'm supposed to have seen. Well, I mean, we've yeah, we've determined that many, many times over and over I again. Do, I'm I, not, you know what? Like, I'm not I surprised. Up, like I watched like a lot of Tom Cruise. I guess my mom liked Tom Cruise. I kind of figured out. Yeah, fair enough. Over, but... What was the one that was surprising? The it wasn't it wasn't America's Sweethearts. There's one that you fucking love. Oh, that like some rom com. Me? Yeah. Sweet Home Alabama. That's the one. Sweet Home Alabama. Sweet Home Alabama, and I watch Love Actually every Christmas. Love Actually is a good one, though. I'm due, actually, to watch it again. I've never seen it. Sweet Home Alabama, I love it. So I can kiss you anytime I want. I saw that in theaters on a date, actually, when I was a teenager. Um, I like the movie more than the date. It's all right. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. I like the movie more than the date. Well, she's not around anymore, so there we go. (laughs) We found better. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We found better, for sure. Okay, let's get into the gift traits and their and their mechanics and stuff. So, humanoids, size is medium. It's surprising, though. Uh, walking speed is 30 feet. They also have a swim speed, which is equal to their walking speed. GIF have the astral spark, which is their psychic connection to the astral plane, and this enables them to mystically access spark of design power. Uh, divine power, sorry. Uh, which basically means, mechanically, when you hit a target with a simple or a martial weapon, 
Uh, you can then cause that target to take extra damage. It will be force damage and it will be equal to your proficiency bonus. You can use this trait uh, a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, but you cannot use it any more than one time uh, in a single turn. Hmm. I got a question. Yes. Would you let them do this if they're not on the Astral Sea? Like if they've landed in Ravnica, can they still do this? Mm, I probably would because uh, you you're know, kind you, of punishing you, a player there. Yeah, you're picking the lineage for specifically this ability, so yeah. don't take it yeah. away. Yeah, and I would just work around it instead of risking uh, pissing off a player uh, yeah. for no reason. And then once you change something, there's always the ripple effect. Yeah. And, you know, we won't be able to figure it out today. Why well, can he do it, but I can't? Oh, uh, it'll just like three sessions down the line, something similar for another player, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Firearms Mastery. So their Firearms master Mastery means that they have a mystical connection to their firearms that traces back to the gods of the gift. I feel like they're saying this, but really they just like guns, but they're like, no, we're kind of attached to them and stuff. <laughs> uh, which means they have proficiency with all firearms and they ignore the loading property of any firearm. In addition, uh, attacking with uh, uh, from long range with a firearm does not impose disadvantage on the attack roll. So they're really good at firing with guns from far away. Because of their hippo build, they also get advantage on strength-based ability checks and strength saving throws. Uh, in addition to this, uh, they count as one size larger when determining their carrying capacity and the way that they can push, drag, or lift. I've actually started to incorporate these rules a lot more in my own game. I don't hand wave this stuff anymore. Um, and so that was, uh, that was useful for me to know. There are a handful of creatures of playable races that can do that, mm -hmm. right? So it's neat when it pops up. Okay, I have, I have a question. Sure. So can they wiggle their ears like hippos can? I really hope so. Oddly That's, enough. Do they, they have fly speed? <laughs> <laughs> Just from the ears going? 100%. Yeah. Why not? Uh, let's grab dice. I've Questions. Seen Jumbo. <laughs> Eight. 15. 16. God damn it, Terry. Did you just call me an ignoramus? Yeah. <laughs> Did I use that word correctly? <laughs> you used it correctly in a sentence. And then you just admitted to me an ignoramus. <laughs> ah, bazinga. <laughs> okay. Okay. Jesus Christ. So, uh, can you come up with a good quest for these guys? A good plot hook or quest uh, idea? It's me going first. How about the gif are forced to find a new home uh, to set up as a, a fortress to stop themselves from being wiped out? Uh, so the home, they would decide, must be taken away from an evil entity. So that is why they would naturally join a band of adventurers. Because they're like, you guys are going after a big bad. I would like to kill that big bad. And then I will take their home. I like that. Yeah. That's fun. Um, oh, I was next. Look, dead gods are always interesting to me. And the corpses are just floating out there in the astral sea, but they're unrecognizable. Man, have your players create a... They find a little island and it's they make a little home. And, oh, where are we going to build our keep? You build it here and you... You moor your spell jammer here and you go out and do adventures from this home base and you are actually on the corpse of a dead god and that thing is going to rise up. Like, you are casting spells here and it's going to bring it back to life by the end of the campaign. I never really thought of the corpses of dead gods until I read about spell jamming. Like, that was what this whole story. I think about it all the time. Uh, dead gods. Yeah. Uh, no, I would lean into like the treasure planet aspect where they are trying to find their OG home. And, like, there's a person who has, like, a weird map of the... Someone has a tattoo on one of, like, their... Because they have the tattoos of their history, right? Of what yeah. they've done. There's, like, a kid that's born with a weird tattoo, like, Waterworld style. But there's a map to their home world. Yeah, okay. And they're on this one ship, and they're, like, pirating their way through the, like, the astral plane, trying to find their way to their original home. That's gonna get really dark when that NPC dies. Yeah, and they have to rip the skin off to yeah. keep the tattoo. Yeah. And yeah. you have three sessions of just prepping and tanning and smoking that hide. Yeah. That's dark, Megan. That's dark. Why would you go there? Always. Where else would I go? <laughs> <laughs> this is all I have. 
Uh, Terry, do you have any insights about role-playing these guys? I do have an insight about role-playing guys. Uh, these guys are mercenaries, so essentially soldiers for hire. So my insight is when you're playing any type of soldier or military character or, uh, as your tank, um, is do not act stupid. Do not act like a grunt that you see on the movies. Uh, these are mercenaries. They're highly trained soldiers. Good soldiers have impeccable critical thinking. They need to. They have a strong understanding of the world around them, i.e. do not kick the can of Coca-Cola lying in the middle of the desert if you want to keep your legs. And they have keen insight on the uh, an understanding of the perspective and the intentions of the people around them. So don't go in thinking that you're going to play this grunt-like character. They are likely going to be... Uh, they would probably have a very confident demeanor and they would also want to willingly serve the party and contribute. Uh, they would not just be uh, an idiot cannon fodder. I... I've always pictured these guys, based on the art that's in the Monster Manual, which is so colonial, like, it is, uh, he's almost wearing, like, um, like, the old, uh, the British privateers, or the, the British mm-hmm. army from, um, from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, right, yeah. right? Um, and in my head, they've always just been a little bit smarmy, and a little, like, condescending and yeah, shit, just based fair. on that art, right? Not based on the lore at all, but in my head... You know, they've got, uh, they're nobles, and they're always nobles, and they've, you know, eked out a living here in the reaches of space, um, because they're very successful at what they do, and they are rich, and they know it. And they have, uh, speak to my man, I, I call him Tiny, he's just a small fellow, and a Goliath steps out, right? Yeah. Like, he, they're just, oh, oh my goodness, everybody, like, he says something, everyone looks at him, like, in horror, and he's just sort of, oh god, did I step on a gnome again? Right? Like, that's kind of the, the idea in my head that I've always had for these guys. But I like them far more as these almost space marines, right? That are... That... It's a different game, but yes. No, yeah, I, I know, but like... The... <laughs> but I really do feel like these these massive shouldered soldiers that are, that are running around just kicking ass is a really cool um, visual. And we don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. Right, the closest we have are orcs, but that's a very barbarian standpoint, not a well-trained, honed. They're, army. Yeah, they're your right. brutes that you toss in for fodder. Yeah, yeah. So much like, um, much like hobgoblins, these are going to be my militaristic lineages that I'm going to lean into. I think mm-hmm. that are going to no, 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 no. We're going to do a flanking maneuver. You're going to come in this way. We've got the strategy to do that. Way. You do not want to fight in in ship on ship combat. In a spell jamming campaign against a gift captain, he will have the correct strategy mm-hmm. every single time. Well, that brings me to like my point of role playing is that I feel like there's a hierarchy mm-hmm. where there's going to be respect among certain levels, and then they're going to listen to the person above them, mm-hmm. and then they're going to like hold that as truth, and they're yeah. only going to listen to each other. Like I can imagine, like your adventurers rocking up trying to bark orders, like your fucking paladins being like, "Oh, we're going to do this," and they're just standing there like. Uh, Captain? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What do you say? <laughs> uh, the last time we saw the Colonel, he said that we had to do it this way, so we're going to do we're it that way. To, and so you have to convince him otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> you could really lean into that for role-playing by, uh, depending on, like, who speaks first when they're there, like, the, the habits that they do, like, if they salute or not, if you speak to the lower-ranking person first, it is likely that they will be visibly uncomfortable that you've done that. It would be incredibly awkward for them. Uh, you could lean into these little things, which everybody could figure out just from movies and stuff like that. Do you have anything about uh, exploration or how they may leave like clues behind that they've been there? And any idea about how they would interact with their environment in unique ways? Uh, they would likely be very organized and, and follow 
routine. So even the way that they they move around will be very like um, uh, military like. So even something like if you're tracking prints, they, it's likely that they will they will likely move in file. They will likely stand in order in places. Things will be very neat. Everything will have its own place. If you're tracking prints, do you just follow the purple ring? <sighs> <laughs> It's that sigh that I live for. <laughs> it keeps me warm in the cold, cold dead of night. No. Uh, so I would look for things. The, the biggest giveaway is probably that everything is going to be very orderly. And it may, to the point where it might even be predictable where they keep things or, or how they Well, because they leave it better than they, than they found it. Yeah, so it's everything, like, everything is polished. Yeah, yeah everything so everything's clean. super clean. That rock is, un, is like dusted. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> I also think that their ships are going to be uncomfortable for the average person to be in. You know how we we envision the halfling in the humans environment and how they have to clamber up onto chairs and you know they've got to really scream to get the bartender's attention because the bartender can't see them mm-hmm. right that kind of shit it's like that but the other way now for the gif and it's not necessarily that that they're a size category larger but they have 4 feet on you shit is not built for you you have to use two hands to drink from a gif cup mm. you have to use two hands to use a doorknob Right, the the archways are like twelve feet tall. Every story is actually a story and a half of in like a human settlement. Right, everything is just larger and bigger, and you would feel very dwarfed. I would really lean into that when you come across either a gift ship like you're visiting, and this is a social encounter, or if you find a derelict one and you don't know whose ship this was, but it's just constructed larger. If your guys have never run into gift before. This would be how I slowly introduce them, mm-hmm. right? You find a, a heavy crossbow, but it looks like it has a grip to be wielded one-handed. Right. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that, that that's in their lore that they can do that, but I would add that flavor in just to make my players start to shake a little bit. Who are these people? Yeah. No, I, one of the ideas that I came up with um, to like see where they've been left behind was the tattoo aspect of them. And I know, again, this isn't necessarily written into their lore, but I like the idea that, like, you can imagine that you're trying to tattoo on your friend. You don't want the first time you draw it to be on their body. So on the rocks or within the caves, you see them, the, the drafts of what they're going to be tattooing right. on their friends. So then you start getting these little pieces of the story of what happened when they were there. Mm-hmm. So, like, was there a battle? Was Did this happen? Were they exploring? Like, you kind of get a feel for what happened when they were in this plane because they're tattooing what happened here. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I really like that. Yeah. Like, why, why does it say no fear everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> no <Our> fear. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> uh, one of the things we didn't lean into at all was the idea that they're aquatic. They have a swim speed. That's right. But they can't breathe underwater. There's none of that amphibious. No, they're not shape. amphibious. No. Well, so, it's like the hippo. Hippos like water. They hang out in water. Oh, right? I think well, it's clearly where it comes from. But like, if you're going to play that, and you're gonna you're gonna make your homebrew campaign, finding the GIF homeworld, mm-hmm. it should be at least swampy and mostly aquatic. I would say, like, I I would really lean into that flavor for what their homeworld is like. Yeah. Um. Any idea about their combat? You talked about SWAT, but yeah, I love tactics conversations. Um, well, the fact that they are uh, particularly dexterous, they have two speeds, uh, but they would also naturally make great fighters, means you can have a heavily armored tank that can attack from a distance, uh, but can also move in water and uh, on land, which means that I would probably treat this, it would be like a big plump mosquito is what I would do. I would, I would force the enemy to constantly have to try and engage with me 
because I'm a friggin' nightmare fighter, like a battle master or something. I'm a problem that needs to be removed, but I would always be at distance, and I would use, uh, I would either be in water, and one of my new favorite tactics, which I think is massively overlooked, is to use the prone condition. Just lie down at the end of your turn. Fucking see you later. Especially if you know you're going to stay in the same area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would use that, uh, where I can use that swim speed, I would be lying down under the water, standing up, shooting, lying down again. Just be an absolute nightmare to try and force the enemy to use their turn to get rid of me so that everybody else can do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They're going to have absolutely impeccable ranged combat tactics and skills. They will always have cover or be providing cover. I Because it's muskets in my head, I'm always thinking of like um, the uh, American Revolution, right? Where everybody marches forward in a line, fires once, then they kneel and the guy behind them fires while they're reloading. Yeah. But that's not actually a mechanic we have to worry about with mm-hmm. this, right? So it is more just using regular rifles. It's not automatic weapons by any means, but... The idea of almost World War One, yeah, firing of, yeah, of Civil rifles, War. yeah, pre pre machine gun, definitely, but uh, but it's not like it's one musket ball at a time. They they carry muskets and shit, but it is you are just loading it as normal. There's no like gunpowder, and then the cloth goes in, and you've got to stamp it down three times. Yeah, like there's none of that shit, right? So yeah. I may even do something like hold my action. So only fire if they move closer or something, which he's playing with the DM's mind a little bit, but to get to, to the DM to the point where he goes, every time I move closer to them, I get shot. So now I need to think of something, because it is met. It is meta, but people were only human. Now I need to think of another plan because clearly they've figured out how to stop me moving closer. I would maybe even do something like that. Or even not necessarily meta, but if you're playing against like a, whatever it is, hobgoblins or any type of intelligent humanoid, they would naturally figure that out. So mm-hmm. they would say, in order to stop being shot by hippo men over here, I need to stop moving closer to them, which puts the battle on your terms. Yeah. I also uh, Sorry, I also think that they, they're going to look for the natural um, bottleneck. They're going to retreat, and they're drawing you into the pincher maneuver. Yeah. There's very much this, this, this concept of battlefield tactics, because players are dumb, and they will chase down the retreating creature. Mm-hmm. The one gif in the suit of armor... They can take a, just a fucking pounding from crossbow bolts. Calm down, Meg. <laughs> um, can, uh, w- would sit there and get shot a handful of times and run backwards and stop just out of range of their proficiency with the weapon. So they're shooting with disadvantage moving No, but forward. these guys are not shooting with disadvantage. No, no, but, no, but they're not. But this one person is coming back. Right. Yeah. Back, back, back. Until suddenly you have walked into a firing range. Mm-hmm. Right? And the rest of them all just pop up from behind whatever they're hiding behind and say... Here you go. There, are, there were ten others waiting to mow you down with muskets. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Would you guys consider landmines to be traps that are findable by your rogue? I think, who doesn't I know think what a the entire is? world would consider a landmine to be a trap. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, because like we look at like trap finding for a rogue in traditional medieval like right. like weaponry. So if you were to be in the spell jamming area where ammunition and these things could possibly put down some kind of an explosive, would you consider that a trap that your rogue can find? Yeah, it's just a pressure plate trap, yeah. I would say. So, yeah. yeah, make it more interesting though. Make it when the pressure per- plate releases, yeah, so that they have to stay there. Well, I was thinking either like laying a bunch of those at a far distance that they can shoot as well. So if they miss it and are like, "Oh, that's a trap," walk around it. Great, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah, right. I love it. I also like the idea, look, all of your players are going to know what a landmine is. Yeah. So show them a picture of some doodle that you drew of, this is what this looks like. And it looks nothing like a standard landmine. It just looks like a like a fucking Rubik's Cube. And they're like, well, what the shit is this? 
And then it blows up. Oh, fuck. Oh, there it explodes. there it is. Yeah, but you don't know what triggers it, right? And so then when the rogue's like, hey, you know what? I can, I can pick this up and I've disarmed it, right? You think so. It doesn't go off. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Do I, do I hold on to it still? Right? Maybe some of them aren't landmines. Some of them are on timers. Mm. If you pick them up, that's all it takes. But the timer counts down 30 seconds. So the combat's done and then all four of these things go off. Right? Like, it's that kind of shit that I think the GIF would absolutely... If they've got to abandon ship, they trap the ship when they leave. Yeah. Um, please have to... They must, of course, have their own language. The symbol's changing. What do yeah. the symbols mean they're changing? Oh, like, you, like the Predator mean, fucking countdown? Yeah. No. Yeah. Looks random. It doesn't mean anything to you. <laughs> you mean it's not in Giant? That one language that I took to hopefully be useful? Uh, I speak Draconic. <laughs> I don't speak Elvish. <laughs> Megan, what do we have next after the GIF? I'm going to talk about some astral elves. Speaking of speaking elvish. <laughs> I thought that was a good segue. Yeah. Um, all right. like you said ass elves. Ass elves. <laughs> ass elves. Ass elves? Astral elves. Do you need me to enunciate that better for you? Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> all right, so something to think about before we go deep, deep into it. Uh, and you can agree or disagree, but in my mind, when I think of elves, generally due to the fact that they live long lives... I feel like that their mystic abilities adapt to their surroundings. And that's not to why, like, you know, like, wood elves exist and high elves exist and they're so physically or, like, spiritually different is because of the environment they surround themselves in. Th- that's true of sea elves, drow, shatterkai. All of them. Yeah, eladrin. So I feel like astral elves are no different. Uh, they're a physical product of the environment that they've been in for an extended period of time. Um, so again, now in Spelljammer, we get the Astral Elves, which I feel go through this process and develop specific abilities and skills, um, that really scream being within the Astral Plane. Uh, but basically let's start with how did they get there and why are they here? Uh, it is why like, are they there, man? Why are they here? So it is thought that they traveled to the Astral Plane specifically in an attempt to be closer to their gods. Uh, basically landing within the Silver Void. Their devotion and time spent within these planes gave them that spark of divine light that gives them their magic and their star, starry, gleamy eyes. Uh, <laughs> basically, they're just super shiny. <laughs> Aren't the Eladrin... Oh, they're, they're like... They're just different bright colors. Yeah. Now, these ones have, like, glimmery eyes. Like, they, they look like your classic, um... Like, your classic elf, but they're just, like, shiny eyes and, like, weird astral markings. That's kind Do they all have, like, blue hair and shit, too? Like, are they are they treasure trolls? Uh, kind of. Like, uh, the art kind of depicts them as just, like, looking slightly different colored. Like, they don't really have a specific go-to color, if that makes sure. sense. Sure. Yeah, okay. Do they, they don't change, though. Not like mood rings. No, they're not like mood rings. <laughs> no, but, the, but, but Eladrin are. I love <laughs> yes, no, they're you not. You think that's the, the stuff you just described, they are like, no, idiot. No, you stupid. Like mood rings. They're just regular they're shiny. They're just regular shiny. <laughs> um, they do get around on the astral pane um, through what specifically is called a star moth, which is basically a little ship that is built from the crystals that can be harvested within the wild space systems, and those crystals are what power their ships. Okay. So a little bit different on how they kind of get around. Uh, they do choose sometimes to spend time outside of the void so that they can have and raise children. So which brings me to my next point is if you thought that, you know, your elf was old, um, well, due to the fact that there's no real time in the Astral Sea, they are thousands of years old, which in turn gives them, of course, you know, different outlooks on the rules and emotions that come with being ageless. So in order to actually mm. have kids and have kids that grow up, they have to leave to do yeah. that. Mm. Which I thought was an interesting thing to think about. Like a sex vacation. <laughs> it's it's more than just... Write that down. <laughs> sex vacation. Note to self. <laughs> astro elves. Astro elvis and the sex vacation. 
<laughs> the name of my new I'm sure job. there's a fanfic out there somewhere. <laughs> oh like... my god. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. All right, so um, getting into being a playable race, of course, they are a humanoid, much like a regular old elf. Um, their ability score increases are basically pick one, pick one to increase by two, and pick another to increase by one. So or you can spread them across three. That that's just a rule now that we get okay across well, the board. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, they basically you can choose. It's a it's a build your own character mm-hmm. when it comes to the astral elf. What makes sense if, uh, if you had to do it just by like. By the way that they're naturally built in their lore and history, how would you do it? So, when we get into some of their other abilities, they do require Int, Wisdom, or Charisma um, to be able to pop off. So, that would definitely be the side of things that you would want to go towards when building these characters. Okay. So, like, for instance, one of the first abilities they get is called Astral Fire, which is a choice between Cantrips, Dancing Light, uh, Dancing Lights, Light, or Sacred Flame, and you choose between Int, Wisdom, or Charisma to utilize as your spellcasting ability. Interesting. Yeah. Different. So these guys are naturally, just just based on this, I would say naturally wizards and artificers. Yeah. They can be anything. Well, they're magic users. Yeah. So, I mean, you could throw a bard in here if you wanted to. You could throw... Yeah, because um, it could be charisma. It, they could even be clerics, because you can use wisdom, right? Yeah. And sacred flame, so that fits too, but... Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, classically, they have dark vision and, of course, fey ancestry, so they do have advantage on saving throws to avoid... Um, or in being charmed. They have keen senses, uh, which is proficiency in perception skills. Uh, and then something called Radiant Soul, which is they succeed on a death save. Um, they can gain the number of hit points equal to the proficiency bonus. And whatever you choose, Int, Wisdom, or Charisma. Okay. If they succeed on a death, death save? Death save and become alive again. So instead of oh, coming okay. back to... Oh, so not, not just the one roll. No, right? no, no. When, when, they, when, when, you are, when you succeed on a whole, like, death... You're no longer dying. You're no longer dying... Right. You pop back up again? Yeah. Boop. And then you actually have health points. And how many times can you do this? Um, This is once per long rest. Okay. Because I was going to say, that's just playing whack-a-mole. That would be fucking annoying if yeah. you could do this over and over. They die, over. die in a fire, literally, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these guys have what's called a trance. So they're, of course, with elves, a long rest is halved in time. So it's only four hours instead of eight. However, within that, they have what's called trance proficiencies. So after a long rest, which for them is four hours... You can swap out your tool proficiencies. So if you have a dungeon crawl happening the next day, you can swap out your proficiency tools to thieves tools or whatever you need to kind of get yourself through the day. And I actually like this thematically, not just as a mechanic, but thematically I feel like because these elves live so fucking damn long, of course they're going to be good at everything. However, it's a muscle memory thing. Yeah. So if I haven't used my thieves tools in a while... I kind of have to sit down and remember how to use them. Right, right, right. But then once I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it. Okay. I like the way you justified that, because when I thought about it, I was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. But, but uh, they live for thousands of years. Of course they've seen a thieves tool or a rogue do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And frankly, they're meditating. Yeah. For four hours on, yeah. like, the right way. I feel like they would lay out the thieves tools in their lap, sit like sitting cross-legged, and go, hmm, and meditate on the fucking spread in front of them. Be like, okay, 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 okay. All right, I can do this. Yeah. And then the only one that I had a hard time explaining, which I did find a way to explain, is that for languages, they could only speak common and one other language of their choice. Which to me seems a little bit weird, because if you're living for thousands of years, I would assume you'd come across creatures and, like, absorb other languages. Right. However, because you can choose whether you're int, wisdom, or charisma, it doesn't mean that you're automatically intelligent. Because you may choose to go the intelligent side, you may choose to be more of a charismatic, whatever, like, background or whatever you choose. 
doesn't necessarily justify that just because you're lived for so long that you have an interest in languages. Yeah, yeah. Or an interest in acquired knowledge as well. Yeah. You might not spend your That might not be your jam. Yeah. You might be like, I don't know, because like they they believe in their gods so wholeheartedly. So as you're saying, Adam, what's built into their back lore is that they worship their gods. Their gods are everything to them. They would love to be a god, right? So um, this is good clerics, paladins. Um, I would almost say like even a warlock patron would be really neat to find for one of these folks. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff, right? So from the meta perspective, the reason that it's like that for languages is because they don't want to tie the lineages and the, and the races to having like naturally racial perspectives on things. For example, it becomes problematic when your dwarf who was raised by halflings, doesn't speak halfling and only speaks dwarf. Yeah. Which is what it is. Rules is written, right? So they just kind of took that out. If you're not choosing Elven for this, why not? Yeah. Like, yeah. that should be the thing you choose, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's true. And I, I just hate it. I wish that we still did the 3.5 way, which was um, essentially the way that I would adapt it for 5th edition. You know a certain number of languages equal to your intelligence modifier. Mm-hmm. Common. Plus whatever else. Minimum of common and zero. Yeah. Right? So that that just makes sense. That way you can be an astral elf with an intelligence of of plus four, right? And then you can know all sorts of shit, right? Yeah. Be super, super, super smart. Uh, One thing I totally forgot to mention, speaking of earlier about petrified bodies of gods. um, So one thing that they... There's a sentence I don't think you were expecting to say. (laughs) You know what? Sometimes in this podcast there's a lot of sentences I don't expect to say. (laughs) To be fair. Um... But something that I found really interesting about a part of their lore is not only will you find them, of course, within like the Silver Void or just within the Astral Sea, but they do travel around in the stars specifically because they create worlds and citadels um, on the backs of petrified bodies of gods. Um, And then basically they make those bodies orbit and be near stars because the stars are what power their ships. So the stars power the crystals. So they're making space stations. Yes. So they're making star space stations out in space. So uh, out, of, if, out of gods. Yeah, out of yeah, the petrified bodies of gods. So if you were just an adventuring crew flying through space to get yourselves to another like plane or land, you might come across one of these citadels as you're passing through the stars. Hmm, that's really neat. Interesting. Which is neat because then you don't have to go to the astral plane to find them. You could just see them out in space. Right. In like a whole colony of them. But I almost feel like these citadels would also be built as, you know, breeding grounds. <laughs> Because they're outside. For the sex vacation. For the sex vacation. <laughs> Where do gods go when they die? You know we've got afterlives for everything, right? right? Yeah. yeah. But like a, a goblin goes to Acheron all right, to fight Maglubiot's infinite war when, when they die. But if they die in that service, they just blink out of existence. Mm-hmm. What happens to dead gods? Where do they go? Oh, there's no answer. I was just like, is that a thing? Can a dead god be resurrected if enough people believe in them? I was about to Google dead gods, fifth edition. (laughs) To see what I can find. (laughs) There have been four other editions of dead gods. (laughs) I I feel like you're going to find a Swedish death metal band. (gasps) How exciting. So. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I think, I feel like there's a plot hook in there. Speaking of, let's roll dice and I have questions. Yeah. All right. Twelve. Nine. One. One. Sorry, it. who did 12? I did 12. Good, let's hear you talk more. Do you have a uh, a quest idea or a plot hook or something for a playable character? Uh, so for a quest, I would feel that this would definitely be you were born in one of the citadels and you've never been to your home plane. 
Um, and then you adventure out to your home plane to go visit, and then that's where you run into either a set of space pirates or in a group of adventurers that you just end up on a ship on a bar somewhere. And that's how you end up with your adventuring crew if you're a playable player, like a playable character. That could be your background, that you're trying to get home, but you come from one of the citadels. Okay. So you have a little bit of more nobility to yourself. Mm. That's cool. That's yeah. fun. Because you were basically like, you, like, you've come of age, and now they're like, time for you to go home. Or... Um, one of the things that I was kind of thinking about was that, like, your family was adventuring back to the home plane because you're now of age to go home, like, to stop aging, basically. And then your ship gets attacked, and you're lost in space, and someone finds you. Danger, Will Robinson. 100%. Yeah, my concern about the Spelljammer campaign setting is it feels like you, the, the quest ideas that we give are always going to be about trying to go to or from somewhere. A different place. Because you're always going to or from somewhere yeah. uh, in yeah. Spelljammer. Uh, so I think for me, it would be... Maybe not the PC themselves traveling to or from somewhere or needing to travel to or from somewhere, but maybe trying to call other people. So maybe trying to call others from their race back home, like if they've been uh, lost out there somewhere, like back to one of the citadels or something. Um, and uh, maybe going on the quest so that they're able to do that better. I'm just trying to move away from them traveling to or from somewhere yeah. and trying to reverse it. In, in Give them a different purpose other than trying to find a place. Yes. yes. In that, that maybe they're trying to call their own race back home or something. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, needs to be expanded upon. I okay. think... Okay, so bear with me. You are 6,000 years old. You've been meditating in a citadel for 5,950 of them, mm -hmm. and your citadel gets attacked by Gith Yankee, and everyone white gets wiped out, and you're the only one left, and what is the purpose of life? All of those thousands of years of all that meditation that everyone else did was meaningless. There's no purpose to it. I need to stop sitting here, and I need to go live my life. Mm -hmm. I need to... Midlife you're going crisis. Going on your bender. Yeah. yeah, right. And just... <laughs> going on a sex vacation. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah. But the idea is, I'm going to go out into not just, I'm not just going to go out into the world, I'm going out into the worlds, and I'm going to explore what it means to actually be alive, because I thought I had a handle on this, and then it got, everybody's got snuffed out, yeah. like, in a, in a heartbeat. And what does that do to, like, I think I would start off not necessarily depressed or suicidal, but like, like, I need to find this meaning of life now. Because mm -hmm. when you are immortal, what do you focus on? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, I've always had a struggle with that. I I do not want to be immortal. Holy shit, I don't no, want to be yeah. like that. Sounds I kind of want to give it a go. I, I would like to have a long life. I'd like to I'd like to last a while, but I don't want to be sitting on this barren rock by myself watching the heat death of the universe. Yeah. That sounds great. Uh, and then finally enough time to read. Right, oh god, all these books. <laughs> generations of people that you know and love will die, and then eventually you'll get to the point if you don't even remember the first lot. Mm -hmm. it's tragic, really thinking about it. Do you even bother to know and love people after a while? No, absolutely not. Right? Forget it. Have you ever Hardened met by people? pain? Have you met? Have you met humans? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> have not. You ever tried to drive in this fucking city? You can't wait to get rid of people. <laughs> um, Megan role-playing ideas for these guys. So one of my biggest things is kind of plays into your previous idea of what the meaning of life was. Because uh, one of the things that I feel like you need to determine if you're playing one of these as a playable like lineage is that what is your purpose of living? Not necessarily in that sense, but how do you respond to it? So are you going to play it in that I am holier than thou because I know more than you do? Or are you going to play it as in, like, life is meaningless, I don't know what your plight is, like, why are you upset? Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to be emotionless? Or are you going to be an empath because you've seen so much? Or are you not going to be an empath because you've seen so much? Or are you... 
you know, 70,000 years old, but you have no life experience and you're coming at the world like you're 16. Yeah. Yeah. And everything is new and everything is shiny. What is this? What do you mean people sleep? What is is this sleep shit you're talking about? So you almost have to figure out what your character was doing for the last 6,000 years. Yeah. That would determine how you roleplay your character. Would your character be so old that they remember Coralon and the gods that left? Would they? Would you have been a character that was smart enough to research that and know that? And are you a Tim Burton fan? <laughs> Fair enough. These are yeah. <laughs> Have you seen The Nightmare Before Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I have seen it. But I didn't see it until I was like 18 or something. Okay. It felt like it was important to the teenage girls that were around me in the early 2000s. You're not wrong. So. Yeah. Every goth girl on the planet. According to their bags, anyway. Yeah. I dragged my mom to the theater to see that. I, I went... Um, I want to say with Dan's older brother and Dave, like a bunch of us went. My mom had to go with us, and we walked out after we walked out of the theater. We were all excited about it, and she's like, "That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It was just <gasps> ridiculous. It's nonsensical. And why would anyone ever make this movie? It was creepy for no reason, and like she's very much like a '90s mom. Yeah. And so I had, had a lot of trouble with that. And then I looked up other Tim Burton stuff. And I watched Edward Scissorhands like three weeks later, and I saw all of the middle-aged women in that. And I went, oh, uh, I, I know a thing now. Yeah. Like the glass shatters, yeah. right? Yeah. That fourth wall. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, role-playing insight. Then? I might actually just lean into a side of patience um, with these uh, 6,000-year-old elves. Like, uh, I, don't think, I don't think arrogance, because I think they've lived so long that they may have gone through that phase. And it's like, how long can you be arrogant and look down on people before you're like, okay, they're all going to be like this. Maybe I should just exercise some patience. It tires me to be this way. Enti- yeah, that's <laughs> it. Even I'm over this. Okay, let me just let them get it out of their system. Yes, it went off. Did it hurt? Poison hurts. Yes. You know, not that kind of say. But, uh, well, try- well, talking to a five-year-old. <laughs> well, well, hold on. Arrogance would breed, you know, being con- uh, condescending, which would then breed the idea of boredom. And how long are you willing to be bored for? Right. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. you would age out the other end of that. Yeah. And I think you, but I think you would continue to be on your, your own journey and being like, okay, let me try patience. You go to your next stage and that, that won't last long. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but how interesting would it be to flip that to be like, if it was an NPC, I would almost build an astral elf NPC that was playing it as if they're like, show me something exciting. Mm-hmm. I've never seen your your lineage before. Tell yeah. me your background. Yeah, or maybe they're playing too close to the track. Yeah, to lean into that. It's like you've been alive that long. You kind of feel invulnerable in in some ways, or maybe you have been in a citadel for five and a half thousand years, and you want to get too close to that explosion and too in the fray too much. That's yeah. me. But, You're like I can't die. <laughs> yeah, or maybe you just want to feel something. Gah! <laughs> Ah! Let's, go. Let's do shots and just see what happens. <laughs> a bunch of fucking 8,000 year old astral elves just doing fucking jello shots off of the gif belly button, right? Like, <laughs> Wait, the gif belly button or the gif? The gif. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And those jello shots are like the size of a, of a large bowl. <laughs> right. It's like a whiskey tumbler. Um, these guys, much like the GIF, I feel they, they have a bureaucracy to them. There's a, an order to them. Oh yeah. And when you look at the NPC stat blocks for these guys, they are aristocrats and honor guards. And warriors. Yeah, right. And it's not just, it's not just nobles. There's definitely a hierarchy here to their society. There's a right way. There's an order. And I know you can be any alignment, but these are lawful alignments. Clearly. 
Right. But if you rock up to a citadel, you're going to have, like, the classic guards that are warriors. You're going to have the scholars within their, like, appropriate, yeah. like, libraries. They have a society. Like, you're right. I think, and I think the society is lawful. Your guy can be chaotic. I mean, your player breaks free from the society to go adventuring. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's chaotic, especially by their means, right? But yeah. Whereas elves are usually chaotic good, I feel like the, this is a lawful society just because of the long view that they have. Yeah. Um, any insights on exploration or clues or environment, how they would affect the area around them? Um, I, I expect that things would be, depending on what your area you're in, is things would be upturned. Because either they're young enough that they want to learn about everything, because they're like an explorer or adventurer, so like, wherever they are is super like, moved around or researched, or if you go into a library, the books are strewn or what have you. Like, they're just seeking information mm-hmm. so in my mind if i was seeking information and i live long enough i also would not care about how i leave the place behind me mm-hmm. so not unlike the uh sorry the gif no, the gif um that would leave things like tidier and neater than how they arrived i feel like these ones would be slightly chaotic with how they leave things behind because they don't care yeah what does it matter how i left the room behind me or how I've left the forest, or how I've, like, who gives a shit? Someone will come by and fix it eventually anyway. It's like, yeah, yeah someone who is beneath me or someone else would fix it. Do you feel like they would have no respect for boundaries, uh, or, like, personal property in the sense that you're the 10th generation they've seen, and blah, 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 or way more than that, and so, like, they would just move things in your home, or just look at things, and you'd be like, that is an antique, put it down. And they'd be like, oh, and they just oh. put it back <laughs> yeah. is, is, is it old? It says it's only 300 years old. Yeah. Like, is that... Is that old for you? Is that old? Bless your heart. <laughs> You're like, what, mid-40s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, don't you dare. When you said that, I nearly died. I nearly died when you said that. I just had to like, act like it was totally fine. I'm fine, I'm fine. Fuck you. It's fine. It's crying inside, but it's fine. So yes, I would, I would expand on exactly what you said. Everything would be upturned, but to the point that I think they would be crossing what we would consider to be personal boundaries. Um, with your your personal items. Well, why would they? They're not going to be that bothered. I mean, what were well, you going to die soon anyway? Aren't you? That so, painting but, is going to fade in like a month. I don't know what exactly. We're about, do, yeah. do you know how many versions of that painting I've seen? It's mm-hmm. not original. Every thousand years, somebody paints a naked dude. Like I get it. Like yeah, it's fine. It's no different than the last one I've seen. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I feel like it would be like. Uh, why the hell? Side note: Would you? I always think this about elves. Why would you agree to be like an elf, like door guard? Like they've still got like guards and stuff on the door, but they live for so long. Who signs up for? that if you're going to live for 2,000 like, like years. life rotation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, it, it's mandatory military conscription. Oh, yeah, Every yeah. 40 years, you swap out with somebody else. swap yeah. it out. Yeah. Fuck. That's got to be it, right? Yeah. Might be the only reason. Like... <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be like, I'm sorry. I'm alive for how long? You want me to do what? I, know. I remember standing on gates at 18 years old, right? And there was like these retired guys. And that was like, well, they weren't even retired. They were just retired from the military. But that was their job. They were like, it's an easy job. I get a pension and stuff. Like watching them sit in a box for eight hours a day, every day. And I'd be like, what the fuck? Are you do- you're wasting your life sat here. Uh, but imagine if you were going to live for 2,000, 6,000 years or whatever it is. That is not a waste. You're putting it. Maybe they're paid really fucking well. And this is just like them collecting RRSP. Yeah. To like fund the, the next 6,000 years of their yeah. life. Yeah. Like the pension's really good, guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. super good. Yeah. Um, so, I get a princess out of this, so I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I, then you get the astral cancer when the tip. <laughs> You say astral cancer? Yeah, astral, yeah, astral cancer. cancer. Oh, right, so. What is astral cancer? You had a kind face. <laughs> anyway. 
Um, <laughs> Not an excuse. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of baffled by the idea that they live the, their eternal lives in these citadels that they build on the backs of dead gods out of crystals that they harvest. What are they building the citadels out of? All of the art shows metal and cloth and yeah. wood and whatnot. Where the fuck are they getting that? So you got to think about this. Anybody that goes to get the materials to build the citadel is dying. Because you have to go planet side to get the materials. So you would have entire castes of elves who are giving up their lives in the noble pursuit of building these citadels out there for their descendants. That's got to be a really interesting fucking choice to mm -hmm. make, right? Like, think about the idea, hey, you know what? We don't have a home. I went away for 50 years and came back with my wife and, like, we had three kids, right? And now they're, you know, all, they all look like they're fucking 20, right? Because they're elves. But they're old enough now and they're going to come live at the Citadel. But we don't have a house here anymore. Yeah. Which means we have to go now back and get a whole bunch of materials with uh, all this money. I Like, I figure when they're planet side... They've got to be fairly industrious too. Like they've got to make money because they need to get everything they can because they got to fuck back off, you know, back into the um, astral sea as quickly as possible. Because the more trips that you make planet side, the more mortal you become. Mm -hmm. That's a bit of a mind fuck. So I think that a lot of the the I'm thinking for the exploration side, a lot of their ships and a lot of the citadel themselves are actually built. From the bones and flesh, like the infrastructure of these dead gods. Oh, Carved yeah. into it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it's like it's necessarily flesh the way that we think of it. Like human flesh. It would be well, strange metals like, and materials. Yeah, specifically says petrified gods. Yeah. So right. like it's like a solid material now. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think that it would be really cool to have like petrified bone that has been used to make a skeleton the hull of a ship. And then they just are nailing wood to it. I just want a really gothic citadel on the back of like a, a god. That imagery is anyway. great. <laughs> a, a gothic citadel, yeah. or okay. <laughs> uh, any, any combat insights into these guys? Uh, I just feel like they're super versatile because they're kind of like a build-your-own kind of character. Because you get to choose all of your proficiencies, you get to choose what your spell save DC is built from. You get to choose these things, so you could really go anyway. But they do scream spellcaster to me, and I don't feel like they're combat-heavy folk. I feel like they don't really, from a role-playing aspect, I don't think that they would want to get into battle with you right away in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, they're not kind of like your your gift where they're going to want to get into battle or they're building tactics or constantly raising the next army. I think they just raise warriors for protective purposes, not for raiding or pillaging other planets and things like that. So, yeah. I feel like they're not going to want to engage with you in combat in the same way that you are. It's going to be trying to de-escalate or control the situation whether it be like i mean maybe you could do like a uh divination wizard or something they have the like the, the portent thing i think yeah. where it's like they've seen a vision of what you're gonna roll essentially and they can use it against you things like that means that they can avoid it or shape that battle in their favor it was the mental stats right which are the ones that they got to uh in wisdom and charisma yeah if they can choose yeah. a spell casting ability right that's right, what right is. so you can choose to go strength and con Right, or strength and dex, right? right? You can do that if you'd like. You want right. to be a fighter? Go nuts. Yeah. But. Well, because there is the warrior stat block. Like, they, are, yeah. they do build warriors. And, but, yeah, and honor guards. Like, they're fighty. Yeah. They're proficient with weapons. Definitely. They want to protect their, their planet. They want to protect their citadels. They want to protect these things. They'll they, be fighters. They have to keep the gift Yankee away. Yeah. Right? So, so but, like, from a, con like, being 
strategically combative. I feel like if you just ran into one in the wild, I feel like they'd be like, I am too old and too tired to fight you. And honestly, I've been living for 6,000 years, so if you can kill me, please do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe something like, uh, maybe if I, w- if I was, if I did want to be fighting, maybe like Arcane Archer or something like that. Does, uh, how would they do their spellcasting Arcane Archer? It's, uh, uh, I should have researched that before I answered it. I'm just trying. Uh, I'm trying not to avoid the combat. I'm trying to find a way to. Hmm, you could do like sure. a. I would almost do like a bard rogue if I was to be like a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like they would definitely be a little bit more sneaky, a little bit more quick on their feet. Arcane trickster, like yeah. I think rangers always make sense for every kind of elves. I was thinking monks specifically for these guys. Ooh, Thousands of years of their meditation and their trance sense. states. I like arcane trickster as well. I like good arcane And they're in trickster. citadels. Obviously, they're going to have some kind of yeah. sense monastery it? or somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Arcane or the uh, yeah the arcane archer is a lot of fun, and I would. It's not the strongest uh, subclass out there, but it's definitely thematically on brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah, these guys are definitely organized. Uh, again, they have rank and file. Yeah. Right. So when I'm thinking about combat, um, if you are fighty, you were probably martially trained. Right. Even if that was you in a monastery part of the Citadel learning your martial art, you were trained. You were not. These guys are not Mm self-taught when it comes to their combat prowess. Right. So. Yeah. They may have personal experience with it, but I mean, at six to eight thousand years or whatever, like. You can still die out here. If somebody shoots you in the head, you're dead, right? Yeah. You can still take an axe wound to the face and down you go. But um, but I feel like a lot of these guys would have seen not just one war, but 12. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? So there's a lot of veterans in here as well. This could definitely play into like a society that because they have to leave to be able to have children and raise them, they would have specific citadels built that they could hide away and their children are built, like, like birthed in waves. So, like, groups of them would go have well, this, is, this is Generation 73. Uh, yeah, like, they're of generational numbers. The class of whatever. The class know. of the derp, derp, derp. And then, and then it could be that whole weird societal thing that, you know, we went through the fad of, like, all societies were built with, you are a warrior, you go off to this citadel to learn. You are a scholar, you go off to this citadel If to that's learn. the case, procreation would be nearly sacred to them, which means they would have entire warrior castes that go down... And their purpose is to spend however many years protecting these children because the children are one of their greatest resources. Yeah. And could you imagine them wiping out an entire generation? Like, just oh, a could we have a gen- an entire generation of less educated ones and then just be like 1,700 years ago there was a pandemic and they were <laughs> <laughs> still We're still We had to stay it. indoors. And like, you know, we're still hurting it. That we're was like, that was batch 75 and 74. We don't talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any final thoughts about these guys before we move on to the Hadozi? The more I think about them, the more I enjoy them as a society as a whole. And I want to build one, but I want to build a society of these. Yeah. I like all kinds of elves. Yeah, but I don't like all kinds of elves, but I definitely like these ones. I'm not yeah. bothered with Yeah, that's elves. right. You don't like elves, do you? No. Uh, I've seen so many of them over the years that I'm, I've am i fallen out of love with the standard ones. And sea elves are mildly annoying to me when we've got mm. other better options. But I like these guys, Aladrin, Shatterkai, and Drow. So um, this is fun. I think it's a it's a good addition. Um, you know what wasn't a good addition was the Hadozi. Tell and me good night. <laughs> we can just go home after this. Yeah. Right? So so I'm going to give a little disclaimer here that this is going to be a little bit problematic to discuss, and I am in no position to have this conversation. Um, I'm going to try to weigh in without an opinion. Um, 
and just kind of state facts, but a lot of this shit has been already redacted and is no longer true. What I'm about to tell you is no longer true on D&D Beyond because Wizards scrubbed it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So. Interesting. So here we are. Um, I wish we had a little ding counter to go off every time that something fucking problematic comes up. Um, I can make a noise if you'd like. Uh, ah! You're, you're going to lose your fucking voice. So, so here, here's, I'll just go through it. Um, here we go. And again, I'm just going to state what, what they tell us. Um, Edit this out that Adam said there. <laughs> Hadozi come from the world Yazer. Several hundred years ago, Hadozis were timid animals no bigger than house cats. They were hunted by larger predators, so they evolved to be able to climb and glide. They're small, simian creatures that are about the size of cats that have um, these, these flappy membranes like uh, flying squirrels do. Mm. So they're able to go from one large tree to another. And that's essentially what we had in previous editions. And then 5th edition, who just finished fucking rewriting shit because of problematic orcs and drow issues, then released this. A wizard and his apprentices showed up with a fleet of ships, laid traps, and captured dozens of these simian monkey people so he could experiment on them and enslave them. He then gave them a magical elixir that gave them sentience and the ability to walk on two feet, literally changing them from beasts to humanoids. This elixir also had the unintended effect of intensifying their natural panic response, giving them a now biological ability to absorb more damage. The wizard planned to create an army of these creatures and sell them for a great profit. Instead, the apprentices, who had become fond of the Hadozi, freed these enslaved monkey people and held them and helped them kill the wizard. The Hadozis and their liberators took the rest of the elixir, returning to Yazer and created more of their kind. Eventually, all Hadozi babies came to possess these new, better traits. A few centuries ago, the Hadozi then returned to the stars so they could get away from their wild and hostile homeland. Most of them now live happily in wild space. They're often crews for hire uh, for other spacefaring people, and their physiology helps them move around spelljamming ships. I just want to say, this feels... It feels obvious that this it's should not have been printed. That it was, like, I feel... but And I know wizards slips up sometimes. I don't believe that they're an entire organization of evil people or anything. No. But I feel like this was out of touch and quite obvious that someone, especially with the, the you know, the, we have quite a vocal younger generation that I feel like surely somebody, one of the interns must have gone, are we sure about this? Are we sure about this? It just feels obvious to me. Especially because of the NPC that we got for them. One of, one of the pieces of art that we got um, was them in almost minstrel garb dancing with a lute? Yeah, it just feels... Uh, I don't know how this got put through. Especially when they've clearly taken steps. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're switching to lineages and a lot of what, what now feels like very obvious things. It's, uh, it just feels a bit out of touch to me. It's, it's crazy. There is a very thin line between inclusion and defensiveness. And um, I think that uh, they did a really moderate job of inclusion with uh, 
Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Did, have you guys investigated that one? No. Okay, so that's a bunch of different um, adventures, you know, one level at a time, much like Candlekeep was. Uh, the Radiant Citadel is this floating gem that has a city built around it. Um, and uh, you go off to do a different adventure per level, and there are all these really small one to four like session encounters, right, yeah. that, that you run. However, each one of them was clearly inspired by a different culture around the world. So there are some that are clearly inspired by African cultures or Asian cultures or South American cultures um, without directly calling them out. On the one hand, it's good to be inclusive. On the other hand, a lot of time you can tell this was written by white people leaning into stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Like having the clearly um, uh, Central American peoples celebrating a, a day of the dead almost, right? Like, did we need that in D&D? &D? Mm -hmm. It's good to include it for inclusion, but it felt a little tone deaf. This feels entirely fucking tone deaf. Yeah, that's it. That's the phrase I'm looking for, tone deaf. And I understand the inclusion, not this, but what you just mentioned. Yeah. Which is, you know, that was the, a matter of, hey, we have to... We don't want to go the other way and be seen like we're not being inclusive at all. Yeah, all, all of our other, uh, most of our other art is white people. Let's, right, it's, let's, like, it's, it's medieval European, Europe. Yeah. yeah, that's it, exactly. So, um, so for those of you who are like, well, what the fuck is the issue? Because some people still don't like to think about this. I'm going to point out a handful of bits and pieces of this lore that are problematic, not because I want to start a conversation or debate about it, but because there may be people at your table that will take issue with you including this in your backstory mm -hmm. and you should be aware of what the problems are and why this is not an intensive list and i have no basis myself to talk about this shit but i know a little bit and so i'm gonna talk about it for a moment here um the first thing that stepped or that popped out to me was a wizard and his apprentice who showed up with a fleet of ships laid traps captured dozens of hadozis that's a fucking problem that is clearly just the african slave trade like and if you are not from North America, you should know that it is a like consistently racist term to call black people monkeys and apes and shit. That is historically a thing that has happened. And that is where all of this fucking comes from, is the fact that we are clearly drawing parallels with that. Um, and it is hard-baked into this. Mm. Um, also, the idea of experimenting on them uh, is reminiscent of the uh, Tuguski, um Yep. experiments the uh and of course enslaving um the fact that they gave them sentience and lifted them up is a constant racist narrative for a lot of uh people in the states who defend uh the slave trade and whatnot is saying well their lives are better now because we've given them modern technologies and taught them shit so um it also has the ability to uh the elixir rather had the ability to give them now biological um tendencies to absorb more damage which is a very D, &D thing but it is a there I, I read the other day about a book that was published in 2015 a medical book talking about how black people don't feel pain to the same degree and if they're asking for pain medications don't give it to them they're junkies mm. so this is very much in the same vein that's that same kind of narrative the idea of selling uh, sentient people is a problem the idea of the apprentices who had become fond of the Hidozi and freed um, the the slaves themselves takes away the agency. Every other enslaved people, because D&D has a history of slavers, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Drow and Duragar and, I mean, even goblins and orcs take slaves and whatnot. But every time that we have 
And with the exception of the Kuatoa, who were just so fucking annoying that nobody wanted to deal with them anymore, everybody else freed themselves and it was a moment of empowerment. Mm -hmm. The Hidozi didn't. They had to get rescued. There's also the problem of changing them essentially from beasts to humanoids. And then the idea of the fact that they went and they spread this knowledge, this elixir, to others. Um, and they said eventually some, eventually all of the babies started to exhibit these traits. Which means that some children... It's weird that they entered that that piece of knowledge. Because that implies that either they were, they were mating with the old animal versions. Or some of the children were born to be the original tiny simian creatures. That's fucked up and weird. Yep. That's fucked up and weird. It's not necessary. No. Either. Yeah. And also, you couldn't have them live on the Astral Sea. They had to go to wild space. They had to escape their dangerous land that they came from. There's a lot of fucked up shit in this. Yeah. So, I think the story itself, giving the benefit of the doubt that this was just a neat world building thing that they tried to do, and if it had been dolphin people, no one would have blinked an eye. But for fuck's sakes, like, it's this is what I mean. it too seems much. Obvious. Yeah. It seems obvious. So let's get into the other bits and pieces. If we can ignore that lore or you can adapt it to the point where it's not problematic, more power to you. Um, I would still keep these in my games, um, but I would definitely rewrite this lineage and the backstory. And it's, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. It's, I'll just, I, I don't need to include this in my game. It's, I'm not dancing around that. For, for what? Look, that that's fair. They do have some neat mechanical things. Let me get into that, especially because they've got a history in Spelljammer. Um, so I understand why they were included. But I'm with you. I probably wouldn't deal with this. If a player came to my table and said, I want to play one of these guys, I would say, A, fucking why? And B, what's your backstory? Let's let's edit Figure this. Figure it out. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah, I could have tried to wind that into the camera. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Hidozis have incredibly dexterous feet with opposable thumbs, allowing them to climb as quickly as they walk on the ground, and even letting them manipulate small objects with their feet. Which is neat because you know how you can't cast a spell with, you know, if you're holding a sword and shield? Mm -hmm. Now you can. You can yeah. hold spell components. <laughs> um, the uh, other notable feature is the long flaps of skin that hang loosely and connect their wrists and ankles to their sides in large, hairy, vaguely triangular membranes that allow them to glide. Uh, they also can wrap themselves up in these membranes to stay warm. Those who are familiar with spell jamming can even learn how to jump off one side of the ship, glide underneath it, and pop up on the other side of the ship. Which is really cool. I, I kind of like that visual. Um, for the ability score, it's the same shit as before. Two into one and one another, or one into three. Um, they can be small or medium. With all of the weird fucking backstory with the they used to be small when they were beasts and now they're human just make them fucking medium don't don't do that uh 30 foot walking speed their climb is equal to their walking speed um and they have uh hadozi resilience here's another problematic part uh and it's just the phrasing of it the magic that runs through your veins should really be fucking changed um that gives the wrong impression of what's naturally what your natural physical abilities are but anyway mm -hmm. um it heightens your natural defenses. When you take damage, you can use your reaction to roll a d6, add your proficiency bonus to the number rolled, and reduce the damage you take by an amount equal to the total, minimum of zero. So you essentially just negate 1d6 plus your proficiency bonus, um, e a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus um, uh, per long rest. 
So you can speak, read, and write common in one other language that you and your DM agree is appropriate for your character. So now they're concerned about what's appropriate, but (laughs) moving along. (laughs) Um, So the other thing that was a little bit strange here is they have the ability to glide. And this got rewritten. If you have the published material, it is different than what it says on D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is now correct. It has been updated. The next printing and all future printings of the books will have this updated language. Yeah. See if you can spot the thing that's pro- that's uh, that's an issue mechanically for this. This is not thematically wrong. This is just broken as fuck. Uh, it's the ability to glide. If you are not incapacitated or wearing heavy armor, you can extend your skin membranes and glide. When you do so, you can perform the following aerial maneuvers. Uh, one, you, you would uh, when you would take damage from a fall, you can use your reaction to reduce the fall's damage to zero. Two... You can move up to five feet horizontally for every one foot you descend in the air at no movement cost to you. Oh, what? Okay. So, if you are fall, if you fall out of your fucking spell jammer in an atmosphere, you can just dive and just move almost infinitely sideways. Like, five times the distance yeah, I feel that like you would fall. To, I feel like they're trying to say that it's effortless falling, basically. Yeah. Like graceful falling. But let's say that you would fall 30 feet. And I know that you can fall way fucking more than that. But let's say 30 feet. That means you can glide 150 feet. In a different direction. It, yeah. Horizontally. Without using your movement. Your turn. Wow. Which means you just got 180 foot movement speed. Amazing. Again. Feels obvious to me. Yeah. Who wrote this one? So, <laughs> Who did the math? Who, there has been a, there's been a consistent complaint since the... Monsters of the Multiverse, that there's not anyone at Wizards actually proofreading besides spelling mistakes. So, that there's like some... Like playtesting and... Yeah, um, that they're just shoving this stuff out. I think it has to do with the fact that 1D&D is around the corner. So, they're putting less effort into this. They've split their resources and yeah. all their top they'll, talents, you know... They'll pers- have to get so much stuff out per business quarter. And it, yeah. it's like any other job, you're stressed through your deadline and shit gets overlooked. Well, yeah. That's it. So now what it is, if you don't have D&D Beyond, uh, you can look this up online. Uh, it's pretty available for everyone. When you fall at least 10 feet above the ground, you can use your reaction to extend your skin membranes to glide horizontally a number of feet equal to your walking speed, and you take zero damage from the fall. You can determine the direction of the glide. So now if you fall more than 10, you can go 30 feet in any direction. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Much more manageable from That's a... That's it. It's more manageable. Yeah. Um, we did get three kinds of NPC stat blocks um, for them. The first one is shipmates, uh, who are the average crew members. They're just general NPC stats coming in at a CR 1-8 with the AC and hit points of your level 1 adventurer. Mm-hmm. They got positive modifiers towards dexterity, wisdom, and charisma, which is what you would expect for a dozy. So we don't really have a touchstone like we did with... Uh, with GIF in previous editions or or elves who are always, like, dexterous, right? Like, yeah. we didn't know what we were doing. Now we know dex, wisdom, and charisma. Uh, they have dex and con bonuses to saving throws. Um, mean That means that they're able to uh, shake off a lot of the spell saves out there between these three things. Like, this is, this is kind of what you would think they're um, going to be able... I like this better than the, um, than the ability to just negate some damage. Which the NPCs can't do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Only the players can. Mm. Um, warriors are the next kind. Uh, they're only a CR half, and they act as mercenaries, sometimes even pirates, 
they move in squads with colorful names like Soaring Dozies and the Jammin' Wingbats and the Night Howlers. But they're actually pretty squishy and, like, you can kill them relatively easily. They do have Uncanny Dodge, which allows them to use their reaction to half the damage from any attack that hits them, assuming they can see the attacker. And again, it's a reaction, so. And then there's Explorers, um, and they're out there looking for riches and adventure. They're CR2, um, and they're very stealthy and dexterous, and they can use their bonus action to disengage or hide. Whereas the Warriors had short swords and light crossbows, and their shipmates just had daggers, Explorers get short swords and muskets. And I actually got stats for a musket. It's four, uh, 40 feet um, without disadvantage, 120 feet uh, with disadvantage, uh, one target, and 2d12 plus 3 piercing. So imagine firing a musket while you're gliding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a neat, like, I do like the visual image, especially like swooping underneath the ship to come up the other side. Like, you can you picture four of these guys diving off the ship just to appear on the other side the next round. Yeah, put it Muskets on drawn, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. that's that's really neat and flavorful and fun. It's too bad they had to add all this weird shit that no other lineage or race got. The fact that they were created by a wizard. It's great. <laughs> yeah, okay, fun. Uh, did we fucking need that? And that cannot have been the only option that was presented to them. Yeah. Because it would be like, guys, go away and think of ideas... And come back, and they went that one. It's got to be that one. It's, yeah. be, it's that one day that like shit. you know, there's one guy in up. in the fucking <laughs> Colonel Sanders suit in the corner going, "Well, now I have an idea." <laughs> now bear with me. <laughs> Let's uh, grab dice and, and roll for these guys. Seventeen. Seven. What did I get there? Nineteen. 19. I'm talking to myself. Um, my first question, which I didn't ask for the other ones, are: uh, Do you use these guys in your campaign? Um, and, uh, not, I would not until a player comes to me and says, I'd be interested in exploring these mechanics. I like the flavor of what my NPC or what my player character can do. Um, but there's no way I'm getting these guys as written. All of that shit, by the way, has been removed on D&D Beyond. Yeah, as you said. So, have they replaced the law? Nope, just wiped clean. We'll see what comes out in future Spelljammer publications, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was reactive at the start as it's been pointed out to me that I occasionally am. Uh, it was uh, reactive, but uh, mechanically, it, it does seem like it'd be fun. I think I would wait for the new lore. I'll just write my own. It's Can they not just be uh, another uh, uh, lineage uh, that's from a particular planet? As they, as they all are. You know? Yeah, and that's right. Their, that's their home planet. They've evolved that they do well. There's uh, a whole lot of, like, geyser area. and updrafts and shit, so they've learned how to fly. I, Look, we didn't have to make that crazy, did we? We just yeah, fucking did it. There it is. Super That's simple. Yeah. And the dwarves live in the mountains. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's strange, then. You know, it works, people. Yeah. It's easy. Um, I mean, yeah, if you figure out all of the obvious stuff there, then yeah, mechanically they seem fun. So I would I would like to be able to include them in my game, but I'm not. But the juice is not worth the squeeze on, on dancing around something that was clearly a tone deaf. Uh, I hope an oversight. I don't think it was anything intentional. I am willing to give the benefit of the doubt, but I am also willing to admit that that's probably fucking naive. It's 2022. Like, that, the benefit of the doubt in 1994 seems more accurate. It has to spin across too many people's desks. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. No. I I would not use them. Uh, more for the reason that there are so many other things that are usable that are... Well, then you only ever play humans. Yeah, so. you know. Elves sometimes. <laughs> we'll see how I feel about that. You day. branched out to half-elf. I'm very I proud of you. I do a half-elf. <laughs> I know. I'm Probably inspired by me. 
Uh, no, but thank you for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just... If I was to branch out to something else, because I, I do just play the same thing over and over again, uh, it would not be this. Fun. In a game where you can literally be anything. I am anything. a human. <laughs> um, is there an interesting quest that you'd come up with for this? Um, my, my look, honestly, it depends. i got to rewrite the whole fucking lore now, right? Yeah, yeah that's the but, quest. But I do like the idea of... These guys being, like, if I would have a pirate ship full of these swooping night howlers that are, like, that'd be really fun. You could picture them up in a crow's nest, but there's, like, there's no interior cabins. It's all just open space for looting because they all sleep up on this massive crow's nest and they all, like, swoop down in, like, a flock almost down mm. to the deck. Like, there's a lot of really cool imagery for this. Um, so I would just have, i clearly leaning into space pirates. Yeah. I'm, I'm going pirates. Yeah. But that, I, where, am I going second here? Yeah, this is bullshit. I, <laughs> how do you get better than space pirates? I don't even know uh, what's a space mercenaries. There's space mercenaries. Like, yeah, well, that's one of the things they can be, yeah, right? It's, but it, it it makes sense though. That would be the most fun thing. Yeah, I feel like if you're creating one large army, you would have these as like your aerial attack, and then have your gif as like your ground soldiers, and then so on and so forth, and you would just like could, combine could them you, together. Could you fucking imagine the campaign, which is just called Spelljammer Attacks. Yeah. And you're playing the Forgotten Realms, you're in Waterdeep, and suddenly 40 ships, you know, appear in oh. the sky, and the, here come the fucking waves of enemies and defend and them. They've, yeah, they've come bound together to get rid of the, the Forgotten Realms, and yeah. coming in for an attack, and you would use all these in a different way, in a different manner. That's fun. Yeah. This would be really good hunters, though. Like, when you said the spaceships appear, I got, like, Predator vibes for a second. Is there something I can do there, I wonder? But well, um, I mean, they are they are organized. Like to your point, they have NPCs that are warriors and what have yeah, you. So yeah. similar to the other ones we've talked about today, I, like they would have a hierarchy of. And I, I really, I really skimmed over this, but they're expert navigators yeah. in the astral sea as well. Right. So okay. yeah, it does scream space pirate. Like, um, when it comes to role playing, uh, I can any anything like there's not one single archetype that sticks out to me for these swashbuckler clearly <laughs> right yeah. but it's tough because we can't use the law to guide us exactly they're most likely so so to. yeah so looking specifically at the mechanics one of the things that i would say is that okay so they can wrap themselves up in these these membranes right and they clearly prefer to move with them mm -hmm. and they've got all of these things that are like i'm not going to make them naturally tough because of the shit in their veins uh, what about what are these membranes were just like like really like fleshy shields mm -hmm. so they're able to to block it by you know getting that flap up in the way of an incoming attack yeah you have like and, a protect capability yeah. yeah and so i feel like for role playing these these like membranes themselves would be the most important parts of their identity covered in tattoos because they're pirates Ooh. or like and th those are big flaps of skin like you could get murals fucking tattooed there right yeah, yeah. I wonder if they would not like. Uh, I wonder if they would not like to be touched or to get people too close to them, or wrapping them up, or um, uh, you know, possibly damaging their their membranes. Because I mean, you, it's only got to go wrong once, right? And everything about them, all of their natural abilities, will be taken away from them uh, if they get damaged. So I wonder if they maybe would not like 
If they're not huggers, maybe they're not huggers. Maybe they don't like being grappled. Like yeah. look right at me. I'm not really a hugging you type know, person. Yeah. Absolutely. I, why do they not have advantage on grapples? Because yeah, no one deserves sense. advantage on grapple. <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer. Oh, I love a good grapple. I know you do. I do love a good grapple. <laughs> like getting grappled by those membranes. Yeah. What? No, I would play these guys as like daredevils. You know. Yeah. Like they're constantly seeking the next like. Like adventurous high, like they're constantly cliff jumping and like shred lords. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's weird because the lore, even from before all this problematic fifth edge shit, the lore is that they're timid, right, and that they have panic responses and shit. But they're diving off of ships and swooping underneath. They're able to absorb damage now. Like, yeah, these guys. I can take the hit. I'll go first. I'm. They're natural rogues. Yeah, right. Rogues, rangers for the survival shit out in the astral sea. Yeah, right. I'm not. I'm not getting monk vibes necessarily or paladins off of these guys. A lot of fighters though, right? Yeah, sorcerers and maybe I don't. You could have a wizard, sure. Why the fuck not? The wizard spellbook is like tattooed, written on their flaps. Yeah, it's tattooed on the flap. Yeah, I do like it. Um, uh, for exploration for these guys. I love the idea that they listed all the different things they could be. Um, I love the Night Howlers idea. I think that if I'm going to have simian folk, I'm going to have them be like Howler Monkey, not Chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the art is very Chimpanzee, right? But I love the idea if you can hear these guys coming. They're whooping as they swoop down, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I think it's a lot of fun that you can you can hear them. And they're, these guys are chaos. The other two we've talked about today were very much orderly and... Um, these feel like they could be... Fuck it, let's do Barbarian with them. Yeah! Just shrieking out of the sky, <laughs> screaming, raging. They're taking half damage, they're flying around, they're grabbing you, picking you up and dropping you, love it. Oh! So down, yeah. Uh-huh. I've never heard that before, that's a good tactic. Off the side of the spell jammer. Yeah, yeah, but then you just land on the underside of the, of the hall. Yeah, right? but you're out of the way for a minute, aren't you? Yeah. You you know, that's, fight. that's chaos, because now you're fighting on the bottom of the ship, but nobody expected that. So. That's fun, too. Every battle map that I'm drawing is a DM. I've got to do the top and the bottom of the fucking ship. Yeah. Um, Megan, do you have anything for exploration? Um, I like the idea that you can hear them flying above you. Or, like, you can see them in the distance, like, flying around in a flock. And, like, you like you just have, like, the perception of, oh, there's just, like, a flock of birds, like, far off in the distance. And then, like, you're one person who's like, that's not birds. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> in fact, we should be very scared. <laughs> they're tattooed. Does that say no regrets? No regrets? <laughs> Do you think that they would have a, an extra amount of empathy for Kenku? Because they would probably, like, these guys fly. So they would see birds and other creatures that fly. And and these guys can only glide. Mm-hmm. Kenku can't even do that. And they're bird people. Do you think they would they would feel bad for them? There's also, I think, uh, penguin people now because of Spelljammer. Yeah. Um, because we desperately needed that. Um, and I don't think they could fly either. So What are the penguin people called? Uh, give me a minute. I'll look it up. Um, when well I do... Combat tactics, Terry. Besides the swooping. Um, the swooping, dropping off cliffs, you know. Yeah, you gotta well it, it but it but it makes sense, right? You gotta come you gotta use three D space, you gotta come from above. Um I, we, we laugh at the pick them up and drop them, but what I mean is uh is alter their position. Um so it, it doesn't necessarily mean pick them up and drop them straight down, but use that grapple to put to place them where you want to place them. Put them in an inconvenient space. Yeah, move uh, the healer far away. I'm a big thing like I always feel like 
by, by the time your turn has ended, you should have put the enemy in a, in a position where they have to spend their turn reacting to your bullshit. Yeah. And that's always my goal. By the end of my turn, they have to spend their turn dealing with my shit. Yeah. And, uh, and this is a perfect uh, lineage for this. So. Yeah, I like the idea of them being spellcasters, like flying through the air and just like shooting guiding bolt down at the ground. Yeah. Um, and you're just getting, like, laser shot by all these magic... Imagine a fireball coming from the sky directly above you. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I just would... Like, aerial attack, but of magic. I love the idea of the delayed blast fireball, too, so you can see all these little pinpricks of light littered all over the uh, the ground, and you've got to get the fuck out now. Yeah. Right? As the Hadozi are, are swooping overhead. Um, the penguin people are called uh, Doer, and they are short, pudgy, flightless avians that look and move like penguins. So cute. Do they have a shitty backstory too? Um, we don't have to talk about them. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just shooting no. fire. <laughs> no, they, the no. East Penguin Trading Company or anything like that. <laughs> okay. Anything else? I'm gonna dance around and play this fucking game. Fuck. God no kidding. Damn it. <laughs> um, do we have any final thoughts about the Hadozi before we wrap up this episode? I think they they should be very fun to play, and I was reactive at first, but I think I would seriously enjoy having them in my game. Just yeah. rewrite so it. Please fix this. Yeah, fix it. Um, yeah, and again, the absence of lore is not the fucking answer, right? Give us something. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So now that we've kind of like talked a little bit more about these weird space creatures, what one would you want to use in your campaign right away out of the three we talked about today? Um, I have had... Do you want to roll initiative on sure, this? Sure, why yeah. not? Yeah. Throw down. Two. 19. I five. rolled like shit today. I can't even do yeah, it. Yeah, you're on fire, Terry. All right, you're first. Of the, of the three. Oh, gif. Yeah? So pick, I know I'm choosing my own. But, yeah. uh, well, it's very you. You know, Thank you. it really just fits. Why? <laughs> For why is it going to be? I plead the fifth. <laughs> you can't do it. We're because, in Canada. Because you can use firearms. Thank you. Well, not as good as Dave. And to be honest, I haven't fired a weapon in and, 12 years. Well, and to be honest, Dave hasn't killed a deer or anything in a couple of years. Yeah. We don't so, actually know what Dave does. He just says he goes he's, Yeah, he's like, I'm out of here for a week, and we're like, okay. <laughs> it's just his drag weekend, right? Like, yeah. he just goes away for a secret night out with the girls. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Um, so, GIF. Good call, good call. Um, I'm also going to say GIF. Yeah. I have loved the GIF since I ran across them, and I think that they can be... I think there's some comedy to be found in the GIF as well that you're not getting in the other two. Yeah. Right? So I could have an out-of-touch hippopotamus man walking around, um, and I, I could milk that for... I could milk a hippopotamus is my point. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> What would that taste like? Um, come here and I'll show you. I have some in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> okay, gentlemen. <laughs> some decorum, please. Um, oh, the irony. Megan. I, I was going to say the same. I, I want to do it. Yeah, I would do GIF. Like, GIF? Yeah. I think they would just be. They have a lot of versatility to them because you could have just a mil, like a military of brutes, or you can have a like smartly moving like tactical team, or yeah. just like one hanging out by itself, being like lost my boys. You oh. know, like <laughs> there's a lot you can do with it. Could so. we put a bot in a tutu. 
A gif and a tutu? I mean, it would be very Disney if you did it that way. Please don't sue us. Sing? Is it on? (laughs) Fantasia. Fantasia. How did you not see it? Fantasia. I've never seen it. No. Which one's that one? The David Bowie one? (laughs) Clearly, yes. Absolutely, yes. Fuck. The, uh, is it yearning for a wake-up bell? I I just have to ask, if you milk uh, a hippopotamus, is it called a gif Yankee? Oh, ho, ho. oh, stop it. So that's all for our discussion on the Spelljammer races. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be returning to our conversation on the chest-burning chaos toads from 5th edition. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. Because of their hippo build, they also get advantage on strength-based ability checks and strength saving throws. Uh, In addition to this, uh, they count as one size larger when determining their carrying capacity and the way that they can push drag or lift. I've actually started to incorporate these rules a lot more in my own game. I don't hand wave this stuff anymore. Um, and so that was uh, that was useful for me to know. There are a handful of creatures of playable races that can do that, mm-hmm. right? So it's neat when it pops up. Comes up all dance playing a furball. You won't shut the fuck up about it. Every time that, oh, something heavy has to be there. He like cracks his knuckles and goes, I'll do it. As if he's stepping up to a fucking like. Oh my god! It was arm the, it was the bell tower bell for me where I was like, it's "Sit down, Dan." Dan's playing, a, Dan's playing a CrossFit bro, yeah. Like, yeah, without actually living the life of a CrossFit. Bro. Yeah, every Sunday he sits down at a table and pretends it, it's to it's a CrossFit bro and a Hobbit mashed together. <laughs> <laughs> and also a bard. It's infuriating. It's going well for us. Oh, yeah. man. We make fun of Dan so much on this podcast. So just stop. Just stop. Well. That's good. We make fun of Dan on this podcast. <laughs> he's not even on it anymore. Fuck that guy. But that's the thing. Because he's not on it anymore, that's all he hears now is he making fun of him. But I love Dan. I would talk to him for hours. Um, he's not here, is he? Because I can't stand him. <laughs> he's like standing behind I you do right miss now. I was thinking about him earlier, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm flipping back to my other pages now. No, that's me. I'm done. Editor, take that pause out. Okay. Take out (laughs) the pause. Take out the pause. (laughs) Oh, I love the idea that, like, they're, like, spellcasters flying through the sky, just throwing, like, fucking guiding bolts down at the ground or something like that. No, you did not. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we'll be returning to our conversation on the chest-burning Chaos Toads from 5th edition. Oh, no, I think we changed that. Uh, next week we'll be doing something else. I've let you down. I'm sorry we have failed. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the comments about your sex tape. (laughs) I'm truly scared. Megan, that was so mean. (laughs) Are you crying now? (laughs) I realized, like, a minute ago that Megan's shirt has a nipple on it, and it's now super fucking You can't unsee the nipples. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
She was just like one titty out. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was lost in a crinkle. <laughs> <laughs> lost in a crinkle. I hate it when my nipple gets lost in a crinkle. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable when that happens. Why are you still here? Leave already.